You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are broadcasting you on a Wednesday night uh, in between the Cardinals and the Saints. Uh, loss and the upcoming Niners and Cardinals game that will be on Halloween night. Uh, I'm Blake Murphy on Twitter at Blake Murphy Seven. Uh, we're joined tonight, as always, by my co-host, um, ready to have his own uh, family Halloween experience tomorrow. The Venerable John Venerable John. How are you tonight? And more importantly, how are you doing after a Cardinals loss? Thirty. It was a thirty-one to nine loss to the New Orleans Saints. You know, I'm doing okay. We're dropping this podcast on Halloween. And in honor of Halloween, uh, I'm dressing up as my favorite Arizona Cardinal, Hassan Reddick. Wait a minute. No, I'm not. Um, no, I'm doing okay. Um, <laughs> the newly benched Hassan Reddick. Uh, doing all right. I think we all had low expectations in terms of an outcome of a victory following or prior to Sunday's contest against New Orleans. And, you know, I think it's. It shows you how far that the Cardinals have come through roughly three quarters. They were in that very much in that game. And then it shows you how far they still have to go to potentially become a top-tier team in the NFL. Um, the Saints really have minimal weaknesses, no weaknesses that, that I can see, um, whereas the Cardinals are receiving you know, quality play from just a handful of players that are attempting to hide a lot of the warts that are throughout the rest of this roster. But I, I was pretty impressed with the effort, Blake. We'll get into the game. Um, but the expectations were fairly low on my end, especially when you consider, you know, they had won the games they were supposed to win. So if they were to somehow have pulled out this game, it would have been miraculous. It would have been exciting. But at the same time, you know, I don't much look at the, the final score as an indictment of the Cardinals, more so you were hanging with probably the class of the NFC for three quarters in their building with the return of their Hall of Fame quarterback. So you've got some positive takeaways, but you know, there's also some, some negatives we got to dive into as well. Right. Through the first two and a half quarters or so, the Cardinals were legit in that game, which is at least um, compared to what it used to be an accomplishment. Um, the defense at least was able to um, hold down the Niners for the most part in the first quarter. <laughs> uh, obviously they had the, uh, uh, obviously the Niners at least, or excuse me, the, uh, the, uh, New Orleans Saints, um, ended up making a comeback for the, uh, the team all centered around that one Cliff Kingsbury decision to go for on fourth down. So that's something that we'll obviously be able to talk about with our uh, perspective there. Uh, for the most part though, Drew Brees, uh, he came back. We had hinted, uh, that there was, uh, we believe there was a chance that he wasn't going to play. Um, we believe that they're going to rest him on the bike. He was healthy. He ended up being in there 34 or 43 passes. Oh, he uh, was healthy. All right. Yeah, definitely was for that one. Uh, Arizona's uh, three game winning streak snapped. They only had 40 yards rushing. You ended up seeing, um, their, uh, running back chase Edmonds has really exploded over the last few weeks left via injury. He'll be out for a little while. Um, the biggest thing that obviously happened was in the first, I believe it was the first half. 
Um, you had about three, I think it was three or four drives that you had for the Saints. Um, and you ended up with basically the Cardinals having them get no points on one of the last drives, uh, the one entering into the half. And the team at the halftime was, you know, basically six to ten. It was pretty close. And then once you got into the second half of the third quarter, um, we mentioned that Kingsbury went for it on fourth down. They had a third down play, a open Chase Edmonds. I believe he was still in the game at that point, obviously. Uh, the Cam Jordan got a little bit close. You kind of thought back, and I think this is what I think. Kyler probably had flashes of that Jadavion Clowney pick six. Doesn't wait for him to clear. Ends up kind of you know tossing the ball away. Then on that fourth down play, instead of running it with him, they handed off up the middle to Chase Edmonds. It just didn't seem like it was the best play call for the most part, at least just from my perspective. And I think there was a little bit of desperation from Kingsbury knowing the Saints were about to pour it on. And as soon as that happened, you had Latavius Murray caught a 15-yard pass from Drew Brees, pushed out, uh, not really, uh, by Hassan Reddick. He scores on that. Um, you had a field goal at the Cardinals. Yeah, Cardinals drove down the yeah, exactly. That was the that was one for Reddick. Cardinals drove down the field, end up with a 50-yard field goal from Zane Gonzalez, and then in the fourth quarter, Saints just ended up kind of pouring it on, where it became then 24 to nine and 31 to nine. Um, you just kind of felt that at some point the Cardinals were just not going to be able to keep up, and the lack of red zone conversions did hurt them, uh, as well as the uh, tight end at least, if you can count that for Taysom Hill. They had a couple of times where there were some big plays and. Michael Thomas went off with, I believe, 11 of 11 catches for well over 100 yards. Uh, what were some of your biggest takeaways that you had, John? Is this more of the Cardinals are a building team to be able to just write it off as far as just being outclassed by a superior opponent? Or were there other concerns that you saw with the team that made you wonder if there's going to be more of this continuing in the second half? What were some of your takeaways from this game? No, I mean, it, I, I'm concerned about the the status of the running backs and the, and their health, but I do think that they're going to be uh, on the upswing, you would hope, in the coming weeks. Um, you know, other than that, we've seen long, uh, drawn-out drives from opposing offenses all year. I mean, unless the Cardinals, and this may sound cliche to say, are, are dominating time of possession and their offense is putting together 10 to 12 play drives, the, the defense, the Cardinal defense is allowing that to happen. And so it was kind of the perfect storm. The Cardinals weren't going to immediately come out and have success on the road against New Orleans, you would think. Um, and that allowed New Orleans to to, to really kind of dictate the tempo of the game. They ran the football incredibly well. But, you know, I'll give the Cardinal defense credit. That's really kind of the best effort you could ask for, in my opinion, say for a, a couple different instances. I just mentioned like the, the red missed tackle on the sideline but you know for the most part it was 10 to 6 into the third quarter the cardinals had done their job defensively the cardinal offense um if, if, you're, if you're eventually going to win games like this is going to need to produce offense earlier like they had against the giants when they jumped out to a big lead or, or cincinnati or atlanta those were all games where the offense had the opportunity to strike first and, and i think there's a reason the cardinals won those games they played well with a lead um, and I, the Cardinals aren't built to come back, uh, especially on the road in the Superdome with, with the absence of a running game, hmm. um, you know, as well as the offensive line ha had played in, in recent weeks, the past three weeks during this three game win streak. Um, they had a tough time, especially the tackles. Um, Humphreys and Murray did not play well. That was to be expected. The Cameron Jordan, they, they've got really nice ed edge rushers, uh, does New Orleans. Uh, the interior did not get any kind of a push. I saw J.R. Sweezy and Justin Pugh, according to PFF 
graded out fairly well, which I was surprised on just because mm-hmm. the, the lack of push in the run game. I mean, Chase Edmonds had had nowhere to run. You talk about that, you know, that fourth and one call. Um, you know, Pew himself admitted that was his fault, missing an assignment. So, you know, once Edmonds went down, the Cardinals were really even after the touchdown. Um, I thought the Cardinals, if they would have responded, even after that that fourth and one botch. Um, which I like the play call, and, or not the play call, but the decision to go for it. And then New Orleans goes and scores, and it's still 17 to six. If the Cardinals yeah. were to respond mm-hmm. and put together a touchdown drive themselves instead of kick a field goal, it's you know it's 17, 13, very much yep. a game. So and that and that John is really where the second turning point of this game came from. Yeah, which absolutely. would be on that third down pass on third and four. There was a pass to Christian Kirk that was basically at the two yard line. And it was what looked like it was, at least to me, at first it seemed like it was obvious pass interference, at least, or that you would have a flag that was thrown. There was a flag thrown on the field. And then the officials talk, discuss a bit. The flag gets picked up. All of a sudden, it's fourth and four. They kick a 50-yard field goal instead. Uh, I think maybe you could argue if it was fourth and three or fourth and one, maybe they would have been tempted to go for it. But at that point, I think they had already gone for it once on fourth down. You take the points at that rate. At that point, it's still only a nine to seventeen game. So yeah, you're it's talking still a one about, possession game. If you get, it's still a one possession game. You get a touchdown, go for two, get two. They'd been able to get two point conversions pretty much most of the year. After all, um, it was their first time missing on fourth down. So some fans had wondered, and this is uh, an interesting. Uh, I, I guess you can almost say like the way that the NFL reacts is if the Cardinals got maybe a call or two that went their way in the Falcons game, that would be definitely one in the Superdome with Saints fans and a pass interference call where the flag gets actually picked up if that flag had remained there cardinals are at the one yard line um you've got probably even without chase edmonds you probably have at least something dialed up and you'd be able to get that ball in four downs to to get that touchdown i don't think exactly so that was the biggest change the biggest turning point for me because then when you kick that field goal all of a sudden it's a 9 17 game it's still one possession saints go right down the field in seven plays for 75 yards and you end up seeing at least just a, I believe it was a deep pass to Ted Ginn, which is then followed by at least um, another kind of just a little bit more dinking and dunking up the field. Uh, I believe the biggest play that I remember seeing was um, the, the the tight end, at least, um, Hill. He had a short pass with the Cardinals brought a blitz, third and one at the Arizona 37-yard line. This is kind of, the for me, the play of the game. You blitz Drew Brees. A little tight end sneaks out. There's no one near him. He gets down and rumbles down for 29 yards, and all of a sudden you're down at the five. So you had third and one at your 37. That's not gimme field goal territory. The Saints had already missed a field goal. Defense gives up a huge play to a tight end, and the Saints just are able to punch it in right from there on a Taysom Hill reception from Drew Brees. So those were, I think, the turning points. Where even after the fourth down play call, you're right, John, the Cardinals had a chance, but it really did feel like the game got a little out of hand at that point, especially when you had the two big calls of that big pass play to Kirk that was nullified. And then secondly, of course, the uh, third and one where the Cardinals, I, I, I don't know if they played the run or what happened. I do know that they blitzed at Drew Brees, tight end sneaks out. No one's on him, rumbles down the field, and the Saints essentially end the game going up 24 to nine in the fourth quarter. So uh, let's move and talk a bit about the, the defense because we know that it's Drew Brees and all of that. But do you think that the defense at this point is, uh, is there still steps of improvement that you are at least feeling like you're seeing with Patrick Peterson back in the lineup? Because, at least from my perspective, I think if you took a step forward in the Giants game, this, even though it's Drew Brees, you expect the defense to take a step back. 
I felt like they may have taken a couple of steps back, um, especially in the second half, because I, I noticed there was a lot of times where I was starting to question, why isn't Patrick Peterson close on Michael Thomas? You'd see him running quick slant routes when blitz. I wondered at least again, like the Hassan Reddick play just tries to shove right. the guy out of bounds. Doesn't make the tackle. Um, the team at least gave up for the most part, uh, all of those unanswered points, Really, the offense didn't have a chance, and Cliff did the smart thing, pulled Kyler out of the game before the very end. Um, Saints would have been able to put up essentially another score at the end of the game, but um, they're down at least all the way over at the Arizona 12-yard line with Teddy Bridgewater. They're still driving down, and then they take a knee. So the Saints really wanted to go for the juggernaut. They could have gone and gone up 38-9 to if they wanted to on the Cardinals and punched it in with about a minute or so left. Instead, they mercy rule it. And uh, I, I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's been a case, at least, John, where I know we've talked a lot about the defensive coordinator and everything. What is your opinion of the status of whether it's the players? We know Hassan Reddick, it seems like, has been benched, as we mentioned. Um, maybe that was a, a long time coming, but... What do you feel like as far as the defense that is missing or needs to get fixed or tightened up? Or is there something philosophically that just is off with the defense we may see the rest of the year? Well, I think, I mean, sure, there's there's philosophical errors within the the, the landscape of the defense. that the, They haven't been able to cover a tight end all season. And that's played Vance Joseph dating back to his time in, in Denver. Um, but I, I really do think it's, you know, if I had to put ownership, I'd, I'd probably go 75% personnel, 25% on the coaching staff, maybe even 80-20. Um, I actually think that they've made some strides over the course of, you know, the first seven games of the season. I think they've improved um, to some degree. I mean, Vance Joseph, at the end of the day, he's not rushing the, the passer against New Orleans and, and not bringing home any of those sacks. Drew Brees now to Chandler Jones and, and Terrell Suggs's defense, they've got two of the best offensive tackles, maybe the best tackle tandem in the NFL. I saw True. somebody's one of uh, major publications, midseason all pro team, and they had both Armstead, their left tackle, and Ramchek, their right tackle, as the top two um, midseason all pros. So their, their offensive line is what I aspire the Cardinals' offensive line to someday be. They've got an interior that's filled with high draft picks. And then they've got the best tackle tandem, you would argue, in football. And then Breeze is, is sneaky mobile for for his age. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a personnel issue in my um, my view. Uh, I think that you've got if, – if you had to count on, on one hand, could you do it um, and fill up your hand with building blocks defensively? So five building blocks. Do you? I'll throw you a bone if you consider Patrick Peterson, who's 29 years old, a building block. So let's throw him into that group. Let's mm -hmm. throw Chandler Jones at 29. You would assume maybe has a couple more good seasons left. So there's two players. Those are your high-end players. And then I think there's a, a pretty big significant drop-off. Then there's Byron Murphy. Maybe you put Buda Baker in that group, although he's not um, improved this season, at least to my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then would you put anybody – on the interior in in that group, would you put anybody on the on the Gosh, uh, like, defensive line? With, it's, uh, with it's, Corey, it's, a it's void basic. Of talent. Yeah, with Corey, you at least have kind of a guy who's an anchor, and you've seen at least some interior pressure. But, but he's I wouldn't consider he's him a building old, block. He's older for a lot of those. And as far as when you're talking about building blocks, you're definitely talking about what would be a core talent player that you would want to keep build around for those. I think yeah, that he's one of those good players that you do want to add to the rest of the core that you would have. If you had a Byron Murphy on your defensive line it would we would talk about that person like we talk about Byron Murphy Zach Allen played 
well to start the season. He's been completely MIA for the last yeah, six weeks. He's been weeks. hurt with a neck injury, which has been a, a big part of that. But even still from that, I know that there was, you know, he apparently been passed up a little bit by Jonathan Buller. We don't know how much injury had to do with that. Uh, but they, that is they, definitely something that's a presence that's being missed. Defensively, yep. and even not even blue chip players, I would just say above average players that they can build around. Not everybody that you draft or you sign has to be all pros, right? You just need players that know their role and, and do it at a at an above average rate, right? Um, Jordan Hicks, I like Jordan Hicks. He's probably played about to my expectations, um, but I wouldn't consider him like a significant building block. I think they can get out of that contract in, in a year or two. And then, yeah. The, yeah, the case with, with Hassan Reddick, I've said it before on this, this this podcast, and it bears repeating that, you know, you watch Daryl Washington as a rookie in the preseason, and he jumps off the screen as a second-round pick, and you're like, okay, he needs to be elevated to the first team. Um, he's clearly one of their most athletic players. I have never felt that way watching Hassan Reddick play football for this team, whether he's rushing the passer or playing the run or dropping back to pass. He has never had that one explosive play outside of maybe, you know, picking up the Cincinnati running back on, on fourth and short. I can't think of one play, an interception, a forced fumble, where he, he makes a game-changing play. He just he, he is a very mediocre NFL player. And when you miss on the Hassan Reddick's 13th overall, Robert Kimdichie, late first-round pick, um, you let quality players yeah, in your up. secondary, Tony Jefferson and Tyron Matthew, um, and then your defensive line, once upon a time had Darnell Dockett and Clayus Campbell and a slew of depth and your inside linebackers, Seth Cox wrote a great article on revenge of the birds.com about breaking down just the slew of inside linebackers that Steve Kime has turned over since he started in 2013. They just, it, it is a void of talent more so than the offense, which was historically bad last season, mm-hmm. but your offense can be dictated by your quarterback. Thank God defensively. I, I mean, you, you look at this unit I would probably count three to four players that you would consider long-term building blocks. Then you've got a bunch of unknowns with the rookies, the Thompsons, a lot of these younger guys. And then you've got just a bunch of guys, just a bunch of guys that are collecting paychecks that at the end of the day probably won't be here if and when you start to have success. This this is a unit that's going to need multiple this offseason and next offseason. And that's if you hit on everybody to to transform into a into a top 15, top 12 unit. Um, and so I, every Sunday w- that they're making stops, they're forcing in a league in which they, it's never been more favored to the offense. And you go into the Superdome with this talent, lack of talent, void of talent mm-hmm, against right. the New Orleans Saints, and you give up 10 points through three quarters before that that fourth down call by Kingsbury. Like I, I can't sit here and complain. I know the wheels fell mm-hmm. off in the fourth quarter, but like they, they have given you a great chance to win the last month. They've had their lapses. I will take two and a half, three quality quarters and one egregious quarter because that probably tells me that at least the Cardinals are going to be in this game and be competitive. So I, I think let's have this conversation maybe a, a, a year from now when they mm-hmm. add four or five new players, when some of these younger players are hopefully starting to ascend. But but right now I can't the, – the fire Vance Joseph crowd, again, I, I – you know, I, I can appreciate the people who are upset and are passionate about, you know, the lack of, you know, creativity with this defense. I, I it's a talent driven league. And unless you have an elite level defensive mind, which wasn't available on the open market to begin with, who are the Cardinals? The Cardinals are in a position where who is going to want to come and coach this unit? They they probably had to 
convince Anthony Lynn to come take the not Anthony Lynn, but Vance Joseph to take this job and say, okay, we're going to give you a couple years to build. And we know we're, we're lacking, you know, key players at X, Y position, but give us some time. The Cardinals can't be in a position with the state of their franchise and the, and the lack of respect from a national perspective with a college head coach and a gimmicky offense by, by a lot of the, you know, external people, especially the mainstream media to, to sell defensive coordinators. Like, well, if you, if you don't succeed, you're one with this team, this, this personnel, then you're going to get fired. I just, Hmm. I don't think that's healthy. And I don't think that's a great, that's what Cleveland does. I don't think that's a, that you saw what the Browns had to choose from this off season. Nobody wanted that job. They have a ton of talent. It's because they don't show any consistency and loyalty with their coaching staff. And again, last point I'll make, Blake, is Steve Kime hired Vance Joseph. So if Steve Kime is still around hmm. and Steve Kime puts together this defensive staff, there's a good chance Vance is going to be around next year too. Yeah, and that's where what's interesting about how they're tied is because Vance is not tied to Cliff. On one hand, you're right. It does essentially tie him to Kime, puts him almost as a kind of secondary head coach of that aspect because Cliff doesn't really touch the defense for the most like at all <laughs> essentially his his job is to take the offense move it to the next level and then essentially let Vance run the defense now what I think is interesting is uh, this is a couple of, ca- of cases where you know when, when you are going to question kind there are definitely some uh, you know there's questions that you have to be brought up obviously we talk about Hassan Reddick there were other excuse me, other players that were available this offseason to play at linebacker. They end up having Joe Walker, who is essentially a little bit slow, who's having to man the position for the most part. Now Reddick will get in on a few snaps. Um, but bringing up with Jordan Hicks, there's an interesting stat that we had from uh, James Coe, at least on Twitter. Um, Jordan Hicks is allowing and right now a 92.9% catch rate to opposing tight ends. So, in other words, if you're throwing at Jordan Hicks 92% of the time, that catch is going to get made. It's also allowed 182 yards as, to the tight end as the nearest defender, the most in the league. So, what I think we've seen with Hicks as far as the signing has gone so far is I've seen a guy who's been solid in being able to get guys in place, solid in the run game, um, has not been there with the speed in the pass game, and is having to cover tight ends in an aspect where he shouldn't be. And a lot of that, I think, is because the Cardinals don't really have the speed or ability at linebacker because they're not able to really run as much as they, they can with Hassan Reddick. Part of it is Reddick's strength is he's he's a downhill, downfield player who can tackle there. They don't have aspects on the coverage end. And in the secondary, you've got you know your Deontay Thompson and Jalen Thompson guys who aren't really there to, as far as with being able to cover tight ends. Either linebackers in this defense for Vance um, I do think that you're right. It is a personnel type of issue where some of that is just you have to take what you're given and you're not able to adjust. Now, I'd still love to see the adjustments made where you're not having to put Hicks running, you know, two or three yards behind the linebacker. And the biggest concern that I had I, that I pointed out when I rewatched the Saints game, this is where maybe I'll kind of um, diverge a little bit, John, is that. There was so many times that I noticed that the Cardinals would be playing a soft zone defense back behind. Patrick Peterson would be about 10 or 12 yards back away from Michael Thomas. And the Cardinals would blitz guys up front. Drew Brees would hit the hot read. You'd see a slant route just kind of run in front of the entire defense to Thomas. He'd pick up a first down. That's a play that, from what I believe, should never be allowed to happen where you have Patrick Peterson, you're playing him even on some plays in the slot, not even on Michael Thomas where he is. So that was one of the cases that when we looked at how Steve Wilkes managed the defense last year, 
Uh, Peterson even said all these guys would come up to him saying, hey, why are, you, why are you playing so far off the ball? Why are you guys playing so much zone this year? You you guys were a man team, weren't you? You played man last year. And they, they did play some man coverage, obviously, in the Saints game. But it's just a little bit different to me as I either Vance to me either is trying to adjust because he feels he doesn't have the personnel, which very much may be true, but there still feels like there's a lot of times where I don't see any of the safeties in the box. They're not there. A lot of times I'm able to telegraph and can tell that there's a blitz call being made just because of seeing the guys that they're bringing and seeing a pass get completed to a guy who's got, you know, the nearest defender three yards behind him. I at least have some concern, John, overall, and where I, I have talked about this originally is what I want to see from the defense is progress in the points. That's the biggest thing that I've wanted to see. The Cardinals last year gave up 26.5 points on average. This year so far, they're giving up 27.5 points on average. If you can improve that over the back stretch of the season, uh, then I think then I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Okay, maybe uh, it's not playing as much as I'd like to see with Peterson, but if you can come in and show improvement because that's all you really have to do to be sold on the Cardinals offense with Cliff Kingsbury and if you don't and you still see some of the same issues throughout the entire season, then like you said, John, you do want to be able to show some patience and some ability, but you also have to produce. And I would be very scared of the Cardinals coming in next year with an entire defensive staff built around Vance Joseph here with Vance Joseph. If the same struggles end up happening is the same question we asked about if you should bring Wilkes back or not. What happens then if you end up having to just, you just miss your whole defensive staff, like partway through the season is it's, I just, I'm not sure. For me right now, if I can see production out of Vance in the defense where there's clear and obvious improvement, um, if let's say Alford comes back and suddenly the whole defense does take on like the last four or five games a whole new look, sign me up. I'm good to go with that. If they don't and we get to the end of the season, I'm going to be very concerned if the Cardinals do decide to move forward with Vance Joseph. Um, that, but that's, that's just me right now. He has to kind of earn his way to go onto the team for me. Cliff has already produced and has earned his way Vance to me right now. I, I, I've seen minimal improvement, but I've also seen some big steps back from where I feel the Cardinals should be. Well, and I, I think that it's, it's the end of the season is favorable defensively. Um, they get the Steelers and a backup quarterback. They get Jameis who, who is known to throw, a ton of interceptions turns the ball over at will. Um, and then they also yeah. have the Rams who were not themselves this year. Um, bad they get, them, O-line, they get, bad they get them twice. They get the Seahawks who have looked vulnerable in, in recent weeks. I'm not saying these are going to be wins. I'm just saying that, you know, in the first half you look at, mm-hmm. you know, what they had to go against a Lions team. That's incredibly hot right now. Offensively, a Falcons team that can score points with anybody. Obviously, they just had to play New Orleans, a Ravens team that's, I think, top 10 in points. They held them to 23. I mean, really, at the end of the day, their their worst defensive performance, you could argue, was against Carolina, against yeah. Kyle Allen um, and, and Christian McCaffrey. So uh, I, I'm a little bit worried about this three-game stretch that includes twice with San Francisco, um, just because I know San Francisco has been blowing teams out, and it's not because there's some high-flying offense. It's because... They wear teams down. They're on defense, th- they're forcing so many turnovers on defense. Right. They're getting sacks, which is good for the Cardinals because Kyler's gone four straight games without a turnover. So that we'll yeah. see if I that just, rubber I meets the road. I just worry about the the ability for them to line up, tackle, tackle, and just dominate the point of attack against Arizona. Um, like kind of like uh, the Saints were able to do when they when they wanted to with Latavius Murray and Tevin Coleman's a very similar player. Um, 
But no, I, you know, I'm with you. I You have to see improvement, and then you want to see the team playing hard at the end of the season. I think if they were to like lay an egg, let's say in the final two games at scale at Rams, mm. we, we don't know what those teams are going to be playing for. Maybe the Rams are out of it. Maybe the Seahawks are out of it. Um, but if, if the Cardinals go and they lose and they give up 40 points in, in back-to-back weeks, you know, maybe you're, you're, yeah, you're talking about making a change. Yeah. But if they're, if they're competitive and the, and the games stay relatively consistent in the twenties, I mean, then, then you, then you never know. Uh, but yeah, they, they have yet to, uh, they, their season low for, for point totals allowed, um, was against the giants at 21 and, and then their three next... touchdowns, which one of them granted was defensive. So that's right, only so... 14 points allowed. that. That's exactly the performance. Like we said, was a step forward. Now we didn't expect that every single week at least obviously for the most part and like you said we did see some progress in the first half against the saints it would be nice to not have that pour on but they're entering a very very tough stretch so you want to see them keep just keep the cardinals in the game for the most part the i mean defense... do you guys remember what they look like in the preseason and i don't want to compare things <laughs> to the preseason but they were giving up points on seemingly every drive they have improved to some degree um but again i i just can't get over the the personnel issues um the the, ta- the lack mm-hmm. of talent um and then i also think the bears repeating you fired a, a one and done defensive minded head coach last year who who happened to be an african american you're going to do that again to the defensive coordinator who has less to work with now that you handpicked i just it would take a colossal collapse in my opinion for them not to bring back Vance joseph yeah well it also depends i think on how a lot of people view joseph because um you know, he had a stint in Denver. It was pretty unpopular. He comes to Arizona. Granted, I think that all of us were in favor of the hire and to some degree still believe it was a totally justifiable, necessary hire. I think that there's definitely drawbacks was part of what we saw. The question is, are you able to show growth, be able to see development past that? And uh, if the Cardinals are able to show that to me, uh, like you said, I'm, I'll be at least set to go with the team, even into the future, the, uh, the biggest question, I think, obviously, is going to be uh, just just from just from the perspective I have is this was ultimately a Steve Kime hire, and this is still in a lot of cases Steve Kime's defense. You've got about twenty million guaranteed going Jordan Hicks's way, and you've got um, a lot of really really good linebacker play happening from guys who were you know mid to late round picks and a good uh, free agent signing in Quan Alexander that's really rounding out uh, a defense that was pretty bad overall last year john you see them that this year they end up getting some guys back healthy get mm-hmm. a new defensive coordinator add in a number two overall pick at the pass rush position that uh, we'll talk about here in a second and you end up seeing a whole brand new essentially defense that we'd be talking about as historic if not for the fact that the new england patriots are off to maybe the best defensive start in you know one if not the, if not the best in the history of the NFL it's going to be up there at least in the top 5 so yep. that that just shows you that defensive turnarounds it does take talent it takes a complete team i don't believe the cardinals are there yet it's a little discouraging to me to see how the the cards essentially went out last year put a lot of blame onto Steve Wilkes changing the defense from a 3-4 to a 4-3. All right, well we're back to a 3-4 now. We're adding some pieces and players back and you're still seeing you know decisions like someone even mentioned today like why did they let Josh Bynes go? You've got a need at linebacker. He was under contract at a pretty affordable rate. So it's either they had to clean the house of 
guys who are more of the Steve Wilkes guys or something. It's it, It's been a little bit baffling, and what I'd like to be able to see at least is the young core be able to step, step forward and prove because you don't know how much longer you're going to have with a guy like a Patrick Peterson, with a guy like a Chandler Jones for the most part of still being able to have that dominance. You know that you've got one guy right now in Byron Murphy who is a core player, but um, after that, it's like, is, is Buda Baker going to be one of those guys? You, what you should, I don't need know. To see, I don't know either, John. What, what you need to see at least is when the Cardinals have a game like against the Pittsburgh Steelers, against even the Cleveland Browns who've struggled, and even against some of the better, uh, even if there are some good offenses that are going to be there, like even the Seattle Seahawks who've been inconsistent at times due to some of their insistence on running the football and taking it away from Russell Wilson. What you want to see at least is. Um, the same thing you've seen on offense. Take a step forward, showcase the fact that you can at least help carry some of the load, at least like they did against the Giants. You're not exactly asking for wins, just asking for competitive. And right now, I don't think that giving up 27 points a game while the offense is still struggling to get points in the red zone with a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback, I don't think it's giving you as much of a chance to win. And the schedule is going to get a lot harder, especially against some of these upcoming pass defenses that we're going to see, with the exception of the Bucks. So, uh, that we'll talk a little bit at least about some of the upcoming schedule, mostly the Niners game. But uh, let's go and talk about uh, before we go with the uh, jump into the trade deadline. Uh, Bosa versus Murray. We talked for months, it seemed like, about Bosa versus Quinn Williams, and Murray was for a while in as a back burner that they had there. So far through the season, Nick Bosa is looking like a complete stud. He got the Defensive Player of the Week awards for the NFC. His brother Joey Bosa on the other side ends up getting it for the AFC. Um, Easy question, I think, John, for a layup for the most part, but I think I'll ask it anyway. Do you think the Cardinals made the right choice in taking Kyler Murray, or should they have stuck with Josh Rosen and drafted Nick Bosa? Do you think that the team for short-term or long-term, made the right decision, in your opinion? Long-term, yes. Um, I don't know if this team would have a win if they had gone with Josh Rosen and Nick Bosa. I think Bosa would be playing well. Um, I don't know who'd be coaching the team. I think Kingsbury and Murray were a package deal. Um, I think we know that now. Hmm. Uh, We also, I I can't judge Rosen on what's happening um, in Miami. If he was with a competent franchise, maybe he'd have success, but... That, that, that it's such a bizarre scenario, that whole thing. Um, it kind of felt like Boza was an afterthought, too, because we had progressed throughout the, the draft process. It was like early April, and, and there was legitimate talk. If it wasn't going to be Murray, it was going to be Quentin Williams. Um, I don't know if I ever bought that. Um, I, I'd kind of gotten off of Boza for a little while, um, and then just you and I just had an acceptance period early in April. Like, they're going to take Murray. Let's not, I don't want to even want to like break down any more a tape or I don't want to look at any more highlights because it's just it's not going to happen and so once we came to that acceptance we we've seen the impact that Murray's had it's been a seamless transition with Kingsbury um you know there there are nitpicks you know left and right but I think he's been everything that the team had hoped he would be um and he he has elevated them absolutely I I love Mm -hmm. Nick Bosa I think Nick Bosa I, I don't think this is a, a shot at Murray. He's better at his position right now than Kyler is at his position. But the, the yeah. flip side, and he's of also that surrounded is, by a heck of a lot more talent in some cases where right. a lot of the sacks and pressure he's been blowing up guys. He had a pick for that. Like not discounting the player at all for the most part, but it's a lot is, easier is when you don't have to double position. team a guy. Yeah. And when you don't have to double team a guy, Let's, you aren't able to, it, it makes it easy. I mean, would it surprise anybody um, in 
for three years. Kyler Murray was a, a really good quarterback, top 10 quarterback. And for whatever reason, Jimmy Garoppolo flamed out. I mean, the Niners are only going to be as good as Jimmy Garoppolo is. And, and Nick Bosa, I mean, he, he could have he could match Von Miller's career in, in Denver and, and they could still be, uh, you know, a sub 500 team. I think the reason that he's having um, a lot of the success that you're talking about, he's, he's well coached. He's on a loaded, like you mentioned, defensive line with multiple first round picks. Um, would he be having that same kind of success in Arizona? I don't know. I think that, I think that that's a good question. I think he, he would produce to some degree, but when you are surrounded by elite defensive linemen, I mean, Armstead is playing at an all pro level this year when they yeah, thought he was a future an Arizona player. Cardinal, Eric Armstead. Well, is if that, that going to be the case? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll I, there's, there's talk from people in the Bay area that they might tag him and then trade him, mm. which would suck for the, for the Cardinals, but we can get into that right. at a later date. But yeah. DeForest Take Buckner one guy is, off the market. It's a heavy right. market. So DeForest Buckner is a, is a, premier player, Pro Bowl level player. Armstead's playing the best of his career in a contract season. D Ford on the opposite end is a 10 plus a year sack player. And then Bosa coming in was really the best edge rusher since Miles Garrett. Maybe was a better true um, sacker of the quarterback. Miles did more like, I mean, you, you say he's more athletic and then you see the interception from Bosa this week and you just, you shake your head at that. But I think the biggest the biggest knock on Nick was always durability, and it plagued him throughout camp. And I think it's mm -hmm. early. Not that I'm rooting for injury, but I, I think that bear is watching. But at the end of the yeah. day, you only played I, all 16 games, I believe, as a rookie, and then you always end up seeing that was always the question: the benefit that you get from Nick Bosa is it going to be worth? The injuries, is it going to surpass the ability of Quinnen Williams? And with Quinnen, for, for, to his credit, he's had some time that he's been hurt and missed some games. But and it's also easier tackle, to make. It's harder. The transition's you got, harder. You, make, you also have so many more stats that pop up when you're mm -hmm. an edge rusher because yeah. you're able to bend the edge. That's always why people say that, hey, even if you've got a guy like, unless he's an Aaron Donald or a Chris Jones, even with a Quinnen Williams, we felt like that the Cardinals needed a huge, strong body up front to be able to pair. And, hey, looking at it this year, Honestly, if you added Quinn into this team, you could probably argue that he would make uh, maybe even almost more of an impact just with how the Cardinals are built by giving another person on the other side of Suggs and Chandler as a rusher. There, maybe there, that was maybe that was part of the idea of why the Cardinals were there. I know you and I talked about how there's people who have questions about what the political beliefs of Nick Bosa, but that ends up still being a personal thing as far as with fans and teams. And with a lot of that, I think it's more of a case of, all right, you can still support, I think, a team without necessarily having to, you know, buy that individual's jersey or believe the same things that they have, obviously. And it, political reasoning is different than, um, you know, having off-field issues in that sense as well, too, I think. Well, and so. their, their, their defense is just nobody expected this kind of turnaround. I think people thought they'd Not be better. Not quickly, no. No, I think people assumed it would be an offensive heavy team, which it hasn't been. I mean, I, I, they put up 51 points against Carolina last week. I think that was kind of their outlier game. I mean, before that, they they they, they barely beat Washington at Washington 9 to nothing. Then they allowed seven points to the Rams, but they only scored 20 points. Then they had that lopsided win against uh, Cleveland, 31 to three, you know, but the Pittsburgh game without Ben was close 24 to 20. And then the Tampa game, even though the score was 31, 17, I think Jameis threw like two pick sixes that game. That game was close yeah. throughout the duration. Jimmy didn't look good. Um, so you, uh, this team is is very much a defensive team. They're right not going to go sixteen game. and zero. You can you can feel pretty sure about that. Well, and but, their quarterback makes yeah. mistakes. He can be he can be uh, uh, baited into interceptions. 
It's not going to be the Drew Brees show like we saw last weekend. There are going to be opportunities for the Cardinals to, um, you know, force Garoppolo into situations where, like, you, I don't think they can do it because of, of how dominant the, the Niners' front has been offensively and how schematically Kyle Shanahan is going to be an advantage against the subpar Arizona defense. But the, the way to beat them is you, went, you make them one-dimensional. You stop their run game. They don't have premier outside receivers, even with Sanders. You find somebody that can lock down Kittle, and you make Garoppolo beat you and throw 50 times. Um, that's how this team's going to lose. I just don't think that. I think that's the <laughs> recipe. I just don't think the teams that they played have the defensive. Um, you know, I think New Orleans could do that. I think potentially Dallas could do that or Minnesota. I don't think the teams, the Washingtons, the Rams defense, which has not played well, you know, Carolina's starting to bend a little bit. They were playing, I think, out of their head early on in the season, Tampa's defense. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to their wake up call is going to be this week, although I do think the Cardinals have a slight advantage. It's a short week. It, it could potentially be a trap game and the Cardinals get them at home. But on the flip side, the Cardinals have been historically bad on primetime football, nationally televised games in, in recent years. So I, I, I I'm back to the, the Boza Murray argument. I if you I'd always go quarterback at the end of the day, if you have a belief, I think that the quarterback's the guy, then you roll with him. I think the biggest you know, pill to swallow. Not only was that you took Murray or Rosen a year before, but you traded up for him and you gave up additional assets. And then you, everybody loves to talk about the comparisons, Bosa and Rosen for Kyler Murray. But it, it really is at the end of the day, what we're seeing now from Rosen, even though his team is just so egregious, it, it was really just a one-off. Like if you had taken Nick Bosa, mm-hmm. you were taking him with the expectation that eventually you would again have to need another quarterback. So you can be yeah. The Bears' sit- approach right now has been a double down with uh, Mitchell Trubisky. The Jags added. I think you can see peak seasons when a defensive unit comes together. We think of right. the Jaguars that year. Even you could look at the Niners this year. Like there's no guarantee. At least um, Garoppolo right now, he's probably got about an average of like what some uh, almost like maybe 200 yards a game or so. Maybe a little seven bit more touchdowns than that. roughly. I mean it's yeah. a it's nine, a loaded, nine touchdowns, oh, nine seven touchdowns. interceptions for that. Yeah, yeah he had two. It's in the a last loaded one. roster. Mm-hmm. With minimal, re- actually, it mirrors kind of the roster that they had during the Harbaugh years, where they're they're not super heavy on the the skill players, receivers, but they've got a dominant front on both sides. Their their defense is exceptional, and they've got a really innovative coach. Um, but again, uh, I just I think that it's a it's a long term play, and people will, will romanticize. I got a question on Twitter the other day that what what if you know the Cardinals had taken Bosa and that Murray's not even the best quarterback in this rookie class. And they brought up Minshew and, and yeah, he Gardner Minshew's playing well. He's also playing mm-hmm. with a team that went to the AFC championship game two years ago that plays in the garbage AFC. Um, that's got a significantly better offensive line, has better receivers, has a better running back. John DeFilippo is a, a really nice offensive coach. So not to get off on a tangent, but like judging Murray statistically. And yes, I'd love to see the touchdowns jump up. But he's on pace for almost like 5,000 yards all purpose uh, from from scrimmage. Almost 5,000 yards. You talk about over 4,000 yards passing, over roughly 600 yards rushing. I mean, he, he he's going to have a historically great season for a rookie quarterback, but it won't be good enough unless he you know wins rookie of the year and uh, you know throws five touchdowns on national TV. I think people just need to understand that. He went to the number one worst team in the league by a mile last year, and there's a reason that the Cardinals were the worst team in football, and that it takes time. Cam Newton was phenomenal as a rookie, but that team was so bad. I think they won six, five or six games 
Whereas Nick Bosa went to a team that had a lot of injuries and then they loaded up and they got their quarterback and it was kind of the perfect storm where they had consistently been a top five to 10 team drafting. Whereas the Cardinals, their rebuild had just started really when they got Kyler Murray. Josh Rosen, when they had traded up for him, if you remember, was the 10th pick. And they were at 15, so they had to move up, or 13 to 15. I can't, I can't remember what exactly. I think it was 15 to 10 yeah, 15 with to Oakland. 10. So, I mean, if the Cardinals had been in the top five the last couple of years and had taken a receiver, a linebacker, a defensive lineman, and then got Kyler Murray, then you could talk about, oh, okay, maybe this team's 9 and 7. Maybe this team could make a playoff run. Kyle is the first, Kyler is the first piece of this rebuild. Last year's draft – the year before, the year before, disappointment after first rounder after first rounder. This is it. I told people coming into the season, yeah, they've got a couple nice players, but you have to look at this team as it's stripped down and that this this offseason, this draft is what you're building on. And it's impossible for me to say, well, I would pick Bosa over Kyler Murray because Bosa has made more of an impact. His team is ready to win right now. Cardinals aren't aren't there yet. Maybe they will, but they're not there yet. Yeah, right now, currently, Gardner Minshew, the biggest difference between him and Kyler outside of uh, wins and some of the schedule played in the AFC. Cardinals have, I believe, the 29th hardest strength of schedule, which, uh, thanks to the uh, NFC West, is a big part of that one. The, uh, it's, Minshew, it's brutal. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. The touch, yeah, the touchdowns that Minshew has is higher at 13. He hasn't had a game like the you know 343 touchdown no picks game against the Falcons at one of those kind of prove it games but he still is going out there improving it each week which is you know a, a huge thing it would not shock me if we get to the end of the year the two end up being you know close with stats and maybe that you could end up seeing it go to a guy like a Minshew or a Josh Jacobs now obviously you take a look at last year's rookie class and this is something that we kind of were talking about earlier today on Twitter was um, you look at last year's class you're all talking about the number one pick in Baker Mayfield Year two, things have been a little bit different for each of those aspects. The reason why I think the Cardinals essentially made the move that they made was because their goal was to have a quarterback who was better than good, better than uh, kind of a middling or good to great type of guy. That's what why the Cardinals made that pick. What you have, at least as far as when you're looking at the top quarterbacks from the league, obviously you talk about the guys who are up there in age and Brady, Brothlisberger, Breeze, Rogers, those are the guys who are just the Hall of Famers still playing at a high level. You then talk about kind of the guys who've been there for a while who are not, haven't really ascended into that level. You've got, you know, like a Matt Stafford, Rivers. Um, you could even talk about like uh, even a Dak Prescott or a Carson Wentz as a younger guy. Um, what you have with the Cardinals is you've got essentially a target, and the target is at least the three quarterbacks. So when you're talking about a young athletic franchise quarterback who's able to go out there and essentially win you games in a guy like Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. The Cardinals are hoping that that's the type of caliber of player that Kyler Murray can be. Now, each of those players, at least, John, were inherited by essentially playoff teams. Mahomes was going to a playoff team the year before. Russell Wilson went to a team that won a playoff game. Deshaun Watson went to a team that essentially had, I think, what was it, the Brock Osweiler and Tom Savage and whatever they had for all of those. They were in the divisional round, yeah. But they were in the divisional round. They were another playoff team surrounded by talent with lots of weapons. The Cardinals were a team that had the number one overall pick, and it's really hard to be able to have a lot of those rebuilding things because you're going to enter in with, to get the number one pick, you got to have very little talent. So as a result, John, do you think that this is kind of a case for, and I think you even made the argument for 
Your goal as an organization should be to build up as much talent as possible with your team, try to use veteran quarterbacks, build that up, and then kind of make your move for a rookie to put them in a good position to succeed. Uh, Do you think that this is a spot for the Cardinals where they'll be able to build and win quickly in the next few years, or do you think that this is more of just going to be a long haul slog it out. We're talking about stuff in 2021, 2022. Like how long do you think that this rebuild should be for the Cardinals versus how long do you think that it will be for Arizona? Cause I think that's where a lot of fans right now are pushing and hoping that the team can kind of get to a six and 10, maybe a seven, eight and one record this season. Sure. Cause you know, you've got the tie the next year you take a step forward. You're at that nine, 10 win, at least for that one. Even if you don't get into yep. the playoffs, you're winning. And then you can maybe talk about making a run for it. Maybe even next year you can try to build and make it with all of the cap space. Do you think that that's something that's possible for this team? Or are we going to be talking about more of, hey, this is a two-year rebuild, and then year three is the year that you're going to push for the playoffs, especially in a tough division? Because um, that's what I think a lot of fans are looking at right now is if you pick Mick Bosa, you'd be probably looking for it a little bit sooner. What What are some of – as well as also with not even talking about the moves or – lack thereof that the Cardinals or other moves uh, other teams are making right now. No, I think, I think you're right on. I think that the, the, the goal is to win as many games as you can this year with Kyler Murray. I think that's why they made the, the Drake trade. And I think it's lunacy for people su- to suggest that, you know, well, you're giving up future picks on day three for a player that's only signed this year. Well, they're, they're trying to ensure that their rookie quarterback has success this year that they can build off of that. I mean, that's such a lunacy take, an, an idiotic take. The Cardinals aren't in a position with Kyler Murray to, to purposely lose games. They're, they're trying to instill confidence and win. And you hit the nail on the head. If they can somehow get to six wins, which would avoid double-digit losses, um, there, there's no reason that the goal can't be 9-7 and seven next year and to be in that playoff mix. Sure. Now, there's always that concern within the division because of how loaded it is. But I, you can't worry about that. You worry about what you can control. You you pinpoint areas on the team where you think you can get better, and there are a lot. And then you talk about that year two jump that a lot of quarterbacks have that we would hope Kyler Murray can have with Cl- Cliff Kingsbury coming into year two. And there, you would just assume, and the Cardinals are going to get another fourth-place schedule next year, which is only going to help them. So I think – if they if they finish the year strong, this is assuming they don't bottom out. There's not a knock on wood a catastrophic injury to Murray, and they don't go you know three twelve and one. I think the expectation should be over five hundred next year, whether that's playoffs or not. And then yes, come year three of the rebuild, you're talking about if you're starting to hit on players from this draft class 2020-2021, be a, a, a legitimate contender, being where the Rams were after you know Goff's third year which is which was his Super Bowl season. Now a lot has to go right, but there's no reason with Murray's contract with the with the management of the cap right now and a lot of big names coming off the books with the opportunity to spend big in free agency to to go big game hunting and then you would assume the next 2 or 3 years that the Cardinals are going to be picking high at least this year and next year and by high I mean top 15 you've got a chance now to really add an influx of talent at key positions. Now if you want to make the argument the, the wrong person is picking the talent. Uh, you can definitely make that argument. There, no one would dispute you with, with Steve Kimes' first-round history. Yeah, but, I think Seth Cox even, I think, said on their uh, latest podcast, he said, like, there's no one who's been more critical than I think that I have of the team and the way that Steve Kimes has assembled it. And I think the response most Cardinals fans would have is, hey, Seth, like, you know, get in line. There's a whole bunch of us here who are going to be having all those type of takes. And that's where the team is right now. But fortunately, yeah. we at least are able to see that uh, – 
essentially people are excited. You don't have the Larry Fitzgerald uh, and the Cardinals. You at least have a young rookie quarterback who's exciting and is, uh, as we've talked about, is still looking like he's making progress weekly. We can debate about who's better or not at the end of it uh, as far as between him and a guy like uh, like Minshew. What I do at least appreciate about Steve Kime, and this is what we can talk about, is they didn't make any trades at the deadline. We kind of pushed our show back a little bit to um, just to highlight in case there was a deal that went down. Um, the Cardinals ended up making, ironically enough, maybe the biggest actual deadline move of any of the NFL teams. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Which is crazy, yeah. But none of the other teams traded anything more than, um, uh, what was it, a cornerback who essentially was traded in... um, Outside of Leonard Williams, yep. Yeah, Aqib Tlaib who was traded for that one. Leonard Williams was a few days before, but when the deadline came down, the Cardinals were essentially the last team that made an actual trade for a player and much less, an, I guess you could say, an impact player within at least that deadline. Now, Williams, impact player. The Jalen Ramsey deal, impact player. A lot of those we've known about. This is as the deadline got closer. Now, some rumors at least went out about Jamal Adams, potentially with the Cowboys. Price was nearing Jalen Ramsey level. Uh, Robbie Anderson was someone that other teams were kicking the tires on, essentially. Um, but the asking price being a second-round pick for a guy who's got an expiring contract wasn't quite there. Um, so give Steve Kime credit. Not only is there a need aspect for a guy like Kenyon Drake, who can uh, will probably end up toting the rock even if David Johnson plays, you'd assume that he'd be not taking on as many carries or as much pain in a uh, much more limited capacity. And I, I still wonder if some of that's going to be trying to get the Niners to prepare for him. You still have a guy who's going to fit, I think, very well in this offense in a passing and running role. And someone who's different, he's a different style. Uh, we talked about this if you do want to go back at least a little bit um, and listen to our previous podcast, but in digging into more of the film since then, he's a different style of runner than both David and Chase. Chase essentially has excellent balance when he makes contact with guys. Like you'll see him kind of, he pinballed off of a guy in the Giants game to run in for the long touchdown. He's great with one cut where he can essentially just get upfield in a hurry. Kenyon Drake is a guy who actually can make guys miss as far as being able to be elusive, make some jump cuts. So you're going to have, hopefully at least, um, once you get the other running backs back, um, even without them, you're going to have a guy who brings at least a different dimension to the offense for the most part. Uh, Because right now, John, this offense, there is definite struggles going on. Kyler Murray was not able to really do that much outside of going to Christian Kirk and even to his tight ends. Charles Clay had, I think, uh, 88 yards, which is the most a Cardinals tight end feels like ever has had, but (laughs) I know that's not the case. It's the most that they've had in a long time. So by being able to add some of those weapons, I give Steve Kim credit for not giving up the future, not mortgaging um, the house, like some people are wondering if they we were talking about it earlier in the year, for a guy like Trent Williams, who the Browns were getting in a, a bidding war over, decided the price was too heavy to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least credit the Cardinals. They were aware that they needed to make a move, but it's not like that there was a desperation move, like you traded for Williams, gave up a first-round pick, or having to make the playoffs. So there's at least still judicious decisions that are going on right now. But what were what were your thoughts on the uh, the trade deadline and moves or lack thereof because you got no more trades that can go down until the start of the new league year and essentially March 21st I believe of uh, 2020 when you're seeing that happen so uh, up until then John what are your thoughts on the lack of movement why do you think that it happened what overall can you have take place because the the biggest impact that I've seen at least of the trade deadline we saw it on Sunday 
uh, of trades, I should say, is going to be Patrick Peterson covering Emmanuel Sanders, the newest Niners weapon who caught a touchdown in the last game. You're going to have to deal with him coming up tomorrow, or I should say tonight from when we're dropping this podcast. And it's scary that the Niners and Kyle Shanahan gets another weapon to me, but it just it is what it is right now. They're going for it. Cardinals, at least wisely, seemingly are holding back. Yeah, I mean, they made a move because they had to. This is not, you know, the college ranks where Kingsbury could pluck one of, you know, six freshly uh, signed recruits and, you know, a, a sophomore red shirt that he could pull out and, and have come in and implement within his offense that knows his offense. This is the NFL where you only get to carry so many players and they weren't happy with, with what they had on the practice squad. Didn't see anybody worth uh, signing off of anybody else's practice squad. And they wanted players with, with legitimate experience. Um, I think this is a long-term play. And by long-term, I mean for the rest of the year with, with Drake. Um, I think that they're going to implement him with da- with David and Chase, assuming that they're both healthy. Later on in this season, he's going to have a role. Um, and uh, hopefully he can carve out a nice little role for himself. And, and maybe they think about bringing him back. But uh, the trade deadline as a whole, you know, I, I thought some of these other names w- would get dealt. I think a lot of teams are feeling pressure from ownership to turn it around midseason, um, especially in the AFC. I don't know what you know what Denver's doing, hanging on to somebody like Chris Harris. Uh, the Jets, you know, uh, they, they had a, a general manager that they l- let run free agency, hire Gates, uh, run the draft, and then they fired him after everything. And now they're like, well, what do we do? Um, so, I mean, you look at the Cardinals situation, at least it's not ca- as chaotic as uh, s- some of the other teams. Um, but they were, you know, they were in the middle they're in a position where I think that they can be very uh, selective uh, of the kind of players that they go after. But knowing Steve Kime, he's always looking to, to make the team better. He just doesn't always make the right decisions, right? But I, the, when he is at his best, it's when he trades picks for players. You know, Carson Palmer and, and Chandler Jones obviously come to mind. Um, and so I, I think that that could be a little bit of a precursor maybe to what we see um, this offseason. But with that being said, assuming that they don't have a super, super high pick, but, you know, the Drake move, um, you know, I think is going to pay dividends. Unfortunately, that they don't play Sunday. They play today. And I don't know if he's even gotten enough practice time, study time in to, to feel comfortable in his role. But, I, you know, I could see him going off against um, some of these other teams later in the season. He's, he's that kind of runner. He's got an ex- explosiveness to his game. He's, he's much more of a slasher than, than David is. Um, he's, he probably compares more favorably to Edmonds, but he's bigger. He's over six foot. Um, f- feels very comfortable catching the football, has a high percentage or a high average per rush. Um, and so, again, this this was uh, an opportunity for the Cardinals to add a, a high caliber player, uh, considering you know where they were going to be drafting, what pick. I think we projected it to be about 187 if it stays a six-round pick. I mean, that's that's really good value for a player that's going to come in and produce. Yeah, and, and even if again, he leaves, you may get a comp pick if he signs with another absolutely. team that's about the same value. It's a rental. Try him out. If you like him, you can re-sign him to a probably well, no. pretty inexpensive deal. If you let him walk, then you're at least going to get back some of that value. It will be a year later, obviously. But What it does is I think, Blake, it allows you to, once all three backs are healthy, to have David Johnson on the field more as a wide receiver down the stretch out of necessity. Because this group right now, I think, is kind of the the underlying story of the season offensively right now. It's not the offensive line. It's the the underperformance of the receiving core. You drafted three receivers. None of them have made an impact. Um, and I don't want to put too much on Keyshawn Johnson. He was you know, a late day three pick. But, you know, Hakeem Butler's on IR. Andy Isabella has probably been the, the disappointment of the offseason, at least in my opinion. Christian Kirk's been hurt. You know, Larry's an older player. 
Um, some of these other players haven't, you know, Matt, you know, continued to, to ascend as, as they would have liked. They don't have players that can separate. And however you feel about David Johnson as a runner at this point is fine, but there, there's no argument they miss him in the passing game. They need him back right. to move the football in the passing game. And so adding Drake in the backfield with somebody like Edmonds and splitting out J- Johnson in three or four receiver sets, I think that's a, a very um, you know appetizing option for Cliff Kingsbury um, you know, over the course of the next, next two months. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Now, David actually is questionable for the game tomorrow. He hasn't been ruled out, um, but I, I don't expect him to play. Um, they, I think they're going to dress three backs, um, the, the two that they signed last week, and then, of course, Drake. But wouldn't it be interesting if they dressed four backs and they, they play David <laughs> primarily only at receiver, have him run routes, hmm. so you figure he's not going to get as banged up? I mean, I, I don't think that could be – put off the table that could you know this pod could drop and he could be ruled out you know early thursday but i i think that the the reason maybe that they're hoping to keep, to get him acclimated is maybe that they think let's have him run a couple patterns and and help us move the chain and then just the threat of him being out there because i, I they need him right now they need him they need his leadership they need his um you know awareness as a, as a runner um or excuse me in in this in this scheme the cardinals were at their best when they were running that two back and david was allowed to be to play in multiple formations mm-hmm. and and to and to really stretch the defense. I mean, all the you think about all those shoulder sideline fades that he and Murray were connecting on that really helped propel them to, to wins against Atlanta and Cincinnati. Um, if they have any shot uh, against some of these high powered teams over the course of the next couple of weeks, they they need David back with or without Edmonds or Drake. Yep, definitely agree here. Uh, let's go ahead. We can wrap it up at least with a, just kind of a prediction and final thoughts at least for heading into the Niners game, what we're looking for. I think what's interesting to me um, was the uh, the biggest move I think that we saw from the Cardinals, at least on offense, has been a lot of talk and discussion. I know even you've had it about with the lack of production the Cardinals have gotten out of Andy Isabella so far. Um, what's interesting is it seems that they've kind of had a little bit of a change on their depth chart with him. Um, it looks like that he's moved slightly ahead of Keyshawn Johnson on the depth chart. Seems like that's a lot due to the speed that they have for the most part of Isabella. It also ends up meaning that you're going to have a uh, just issues with Keyshawn Johnson as far as what we saw at least in the preseason with some of the routes and some of the abilities that they had of him being able to get open or being able to make some of the contested catches just doesn't seem to have been as consistent for the most part. And the fact that the Cardinals really need speed, whether that's deep or just even right. the end of rounds, um, it seems like that's been the case. So at least there's one spot of positive movement. Unfortunately, um, it ends up being not really meaning too much because Andy Isabella and Farrah Cooper only had one snap each for the most part, which shows you that you're still playing the Demir bird and the um, uh, Trent Sherfield show overall. So uh, that's something at least where it also means that you have a sixth round pick. You thought we're hoping was going to be a, a guy you hit on suddenly seems to be kind of taking a step back. So there's a rookie wall that every player hits and runs into, but uh, what are your thoughts, at least just right now, with as the Cardinals have gone through the halfway point of the season? Do you think that the Cardinals should be forcing, kind of pushing in Isabella more, maybe just even yeah. see what you have, or is this going to be kind of a case where it's just it's a wait till twenty twenty kind of fix it problem, and then we'll see whatever bonus you give up from there? I don't know. Have, have you given up at least completely yet on Isabella being able to be an impact player for this team? I don't. I think uh, giving up is a strong phrase. Um... I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, I think you kind of have to force the issue uh, in the second half 
they were starting to implement him more and more against Atlanta. And to a lesser extent, he got his first catch against the Giants. Um, but he didn't play hardly at all last week against New Orleans. That's a tough place to play. But, I mean, he's the fastest receiver on the team. You can't scheme him open with his speed, get him one-on-one coverage. I mean, he he had a long touchdown in, in the preseason. Granted, it was, I think, in the fourth quarter against guys who aren't in the league right now. But I, I think his, his hmm. skill set is something that's not present outside of really Christian Kirk and that's ability to separate. Is he that lost? I mean, he's a high... IQ guy. I don't think he's lacking in football intelligence. Is he just that, you know, that is there that much of a rookie yeah. curve to go from UMass? And is there that much of a hard thing of being able to well, work watched, into the slot and learning as another Well, we watched too, John Brown do that yeah, from a, yeah, from a yeah. small school, a That's smaller true. school than UMass and immediately have success. And it's like, why can't, I know it's a different offense, but there's more receivers than the, than the Arians offense. Why is it that Brown can come in and they can find a niche role for him on a, on a team that's a, a, a playoff team, and yet Annie Isabella on a team that needs production at receiver, that drafted him for a reason? I mean, it's not like he's some throwaway player from the Wilkes era. I mean, he was handpicked by Kingsbury and Kime to come in and have an impact, and he's not hurt. He really hasn't been hurt. I think he missed a couple weeks in the preseason, um, but he mm-hmm. came back. They have a huge needed receiver. They signed a receiver. They cut that receiver in Crabtree. I mean, I don't, I don't really understand. Um, it's, it's frustrating, I think, for a lot of Cardinal fans because you assume, you know, that was the Josh Rosen pick, and it's always probably going to be tied to Rosen, even though we don't assume Rosen's going to have much success now. He was a third highest draft pick. He was a second round pick. Now he's a late second round pick, and I, I always bring up the fact that he was taken ahead of DK Metcalf, and he, he could end up being better than DK Metcalf. I don't know. But right now, that is looking like one of the worst picks from the entire draft, not only the Cardinals, but in general, for a team that's rebuilding that needs help right now, and you can't get him on the I, – I don't I, – like, I, I got to think it's a, it's a problem with the player. I don't think it's a – like, a, Kingsbury is very accommodating and plays a lot of – I mean, so many guys get opportunities in this offense, backs, receivers, tight ends. Uh, and and you the guy that was handpicked to come in and and to you know set this offense on fire as a deep threat. I mean, he led college football in deep threat production last year, according to PFF. He can't get on the field. I mean, uh, so he's playing a little bit of special teams. At least he's active now. I think he was inactive for the first couple games. So I I would like to think that they get him involved over the last half of the season. I'm not sure this is the game to do it. But yeah, well, you know, well, hopefully I, they can come up with something given the Niners and the lack of a run game. And if David Johnson really is going to be out and even if he is in more of a, uh, you know, type of receiving role, you'd love to be able to see a little bit more creativity dialed up their way. Um, it's because yeah, you just don't know. The uh, biggest question, obviously, that's still for the team is going to be Justin Murray, the right tackle um, kind of practice limited throughout the week yeah, is also questionable for the game. The right tackle situation for the Cardinals right now, at least after him, you'd be most likely a what is it, rookie sixth round pick you'd be having, at least in Joshua Miles would be the guy, or you'd be having Mason to activate. Cole, yeah, Mason Cole at right tackle. He's you know as a center playing right tackle against a ferocious Niners defense. It's going to be a hard, tough game. Um, for me, I think the, the biggest things I'm hoping for for the Cardinals is if you can take it on the defensive side, hold them to, you know, if it's 30 points or under, uh, even let's say that you can make it where it's 21 points of offense for that one. You're not giving up, you know, four touchdowns or, you know, multiple field goals and three touchdowns on the defensive side. 
at least showed that step forward because this is a team that put up almost 50 points, or I think they did put up 50 points on a good Panthers defense. So just showcase at least the fact that you're able to be competitive as a defense. Um, obviously, Kyle Shanahan, he's kind of maybe the model of what Cardinals fans are hoping Cliff Kingsbury turns into. Maybe he have a, struggles for a few years, kind of figures things out, eventually is always able to be able to use the creativity, and then it kind of all comes together with the team. And then for me, the other side, at least, I think on offense, you can't have another game where you're just not putting up any sort of touchdowns for the most part. I think you want to at least try to get up to 17 points or so. If you can make it where it's, say, a 24-17 that you're in the fourth quarter, you're still in it um, within one point. That, to me, at least would be enough of a win on a national TV crowd. My fear, ultimately, John, my kind of prediction is I think it's going to be a um, 31 to 10 sort of game is kind of how I feel very similar to the saints game, but wouldn't shock me if it's more of a 36 to 10 type of game. That'll be my score prediction. I do think that the Cardinals are not going to be near the Broncos blowout levels of last yeah, year where they're completely wouldn't struggling. Wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't shock me if that ends up being the case where maybe it's the Cardinals are still able to drive and, uh, able to at least get more field goals out of it. Obviously, last year, part of the ineptitude was the multiple turnovers and everything. But I do think that this is going to be another, I guess, considered blowout game is what I would feel because Niners, I think, are in a different class. Now, you mentioned the words trap game. Do you think that there's a chance for the Cardinals to kind of take advantage, be at home, maybe catch the Niners a bit by surprise? It, it's been so long since the Niners have beaten the Cardinals. I, I have a hard time believing that's the case. But do you think that Arizona can keep this game close or make it interesting enough uh, on Thursday night football in front of a national audience. Yeah, no, I don't. I think that the, the, the Niners strengths are the Cardinal weaknesses. The Cardinals can't handle, you know, elite edge pressure. The, the, the Niners have plenty of it. The Cardinals can't stop the run. The Niners are the second best rushing team in football. I don't know who's number one. I, every every week I see the Niners break. Yeah, Ravens, like, Ravens, Lamar Ravens, Jackson is and, killing it. So okay, by, by default, but I, I think, uh, this this is does not set up as a good matchup at all. The only area I think the Cardinals have an advantage is Niners are starting two, um, I think they are, two backup tackles. And so if you can bait Jimmy into some, some interceptions because of pressure, if you can force some turnovers, I do think the Cardinals are going to score points tomorrow. That could come back to bite me. I, ooh, I do okay, think, that's that's a good bold think, prediction. I like it. I like it. I do think they they eclipse twenty points, um, which would only be the second time. All the Niners are only giving up eleven points per game, but I do not think that on a short week with the Cardinals playing at home, that the Cardinals are going to be held under twenty points. I think Murray gets them three touchdowns. I think they lose somewhere in the vicinity of thirty to twenty one or something like that, um, and it'll be close ish. But I think that. Kittle has a monster game. They don't have anybody unless you try to put Peterson on Kittle. They don't have anybody. Yeah, put who him can on play Sanders now because then you got no one on Emmanuel Sanders, and he's but such hey, a good I just, technician. This just feels like a game that the Cardinals again get worn down. But Murray, I think, plays well because it's a nationally televised game and wants to show out and will make some plays, and people will be excited. And I don't think this the. The narrative after the game will be, well, the Cardinals are awful. I think it will be like, yeah, there's a, a talent disparity between these two teams, but you know the Cardinals are in a are in a good place with Kyler Murray. So I'm going to go 30 to 21 is my final. 
38-21. I would love the sound of that, John. If you can make it a 30-21 to 21 game, I would love that. So we'll see where the Cardinals are right now. I know last year at this time with that Broncos game, it was kind of Awful. the end it was the end of the Mike McCoy era and it was kind of the, the start beginning. of the end of the Steve yeah, Wilkes era, obviously. Right. So and the we'll Josh see. Rosen era. Yeah, unfortunately. We'll see if that ends up being the case, how far the Cardinals have come. We kind of got maybe a bit of a teaser, and we'll we'll see. The the Cards defense, this is going to be one of their best tests because you're going to be dealing with a quarterback who has been prone to turnovers, but also with a strong rushing defense with some very good play calls. You're going to need to show some excellent discipline. And like you said, also, it's this is a game where some Niners fans are like calling out for 200 plus yards receiving for Kittle, at least for that. Let's see if we can have the Cardinals at least put a limit to that. Just even if you have to double them throughout the game, make some sort of adjustment. And we'll catch you guys on the other side. We've got some awesome um, content coming up over uh, the next, uh, next week. Obviously, we'll be not having a Sunday game to talk about, but we will be breaking down the Niners game previewing the upcoming game uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I believe. Is that the next game, John, or is that the Niners game? Uh, the, no, I think they, it's the got, they Rams, got Tampa. Right? They yeah. got Tampa. They got Tampa, got Tampa, and that's going to be one of the uh, the Arizona homecoming, I think you could say, or I'm sure Arizona traveling out to Tampa Bay against the likes of Bruce Arians. You get the likes a of a bunch of former Cardinals players, including Kevin Minter, I think, is still out at linebacker over there for them. They've got... Oh, gosh, Byron Leftwich is calling plays. It's going to be a fun one, especially because, John, this may be what we're hoping for as far as the Kyler Murray uh, second type of breakout game against a soft secondary. The Bucks are the best team um, for the most part against the run. You can think that Todd Bowles defense for that, but they don't have the talent on the back end. So hopefully that'll be at least a fun game where you're able to um, go out on a uh, spooky Halloween, and maybe you could pull, I don't know if you can say an upset. We'll see if we're, we're not quite that confident, but maybe a little bit of a surprise to some people thinking it's going to be a Cardinals team that lays flat again and then go out and follow that up. Take a step forward at least, be able to maybe force an interception or two, get some turnovers, then follow that up with being able to make some forward progress. That's all that we're looking for this season with the Cardinals is being able to take that next step forward, kind of out of that darkness and into the light of being one of the more premier teams in the NFL. Yep. Uh, well said, Blake. And just real quick, I was looking for this article earlier. I found it. NFL.com did their midseason awards. They had Kyler Murray second in offensive rookie of the year voting, not behind Gardner Minshew, mm. who only got two votes, which is crazy. Uh, Kyler Murray is two votes behind with nine to 11 to Josh Jacobs. Um, hmm. which I think would be an easier pill for Cardinal fans to swallow than losing out to Minshew. <laughs> um, but guys like Brian Baldinger and uh, Jeff Brand and uh, I think LaDainian Tomlinson, uh, a bunch of guys in the Kyle Murray bandwagon. So the good news mm-hmm. is for people freaking out that Kyler is not going to win Rookie of the Year, number one, that doesn't mean – Rookie of the Year means very little. Uh, and number two is there's a lot of season left mm-hmm. to play. So um, – you know, strap up and stay tuned. Kyler needs to let's just I you know, I'm I'm ready to trade off some interceptions for some touchdowns. And I think <laughs> yeah. that not to get off on a tangent here, but I think that more aggressive play calling in the red zone could result in that. So less less east and west with, with the play calling and more let's just let's throw it in the end zone. Hopefully something good happens. But yeah, that's, it for, that's yep. it for me. That's it for me tonight, Blake. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again for joining us so much. We've got one episode for you this week. Um, again, you can find us on revengeofthebirds.com, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
uh, as well as places like TuneIn Radio or Stitcher Radio for your podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks again. We'll catch you up on the other side of that Thursday night game. You kind of a little mini buy for Arizona. Hopefully we'll be talking about a Cardinals win getting back to 500. If not, we'll be previewing the Buccaneers game. Good old BA coming back to town. Thanks Happy again, Halloween. guys. <laughs>